Everybody, it's that time of the week again, bitch. That's right. Welcome to another sassy episode of Old School New School Comedy Podcast. And I am your host, Christy Miller. And uh on the show this week is a really special person. Um, we met quite a few years ago, but we really didn't start bonding until recently because we're, you know, as comics as you get older and you uh you know get your your career starts developing everybody kind of goes down their own path and you kind of get taken away from certain circles like it changes as you elevate yourself and um this week this woman she was on the groundbreaking special on showtime called funny women of a certain age the first one and she just filmed her dry bar special and she tours and entertains our troops with her clothes on on a regular <laughs> I love her to death she's super funny she's a legend and I'm honored to have her on my show Miss Vanessa Hollingshead well thank you very much for that open that made me feel good because yeah. with the hashtag me too no one gives you compliments anymore I know. <laughs> that's, that's nice to get a compliment when it comes to harassment I go yeah hashtag me too please help yeah. me I know I know. Make me feel pretty yeah I never I, I don't the guys, uh, you know, the um, construction workers used to, they'd, drew, they'd stop drilling and, you know, give you a whistle and say, hey, baby, drill this bit and nothing. They just keep drilling now. Yeah. Yeah. But they might be gay because everyone in my neighborhood's gay. So yeah. they might be. And also all the hot guys are gay because they're all. They're all gay. Yeah. yeah. At least at my gym, they're all hot and gay. Every hot guy I look at, I'm like, gay. Yeah. Yeah. Gay until proven straight was my yeah. old motto. Yeah. And then if they are straight. You just wonder about them. You're like, what's wrong with him? Yeah. When is he coming out of the closet? Right. <laughs> and, and T minus 10, 9. <laughs> but uh, you've had one hell of a career. And um, this place here, we broadcast live at the comic strip here in New York City. Uh, one of the oldest clubs standing because, you know, Rodney's was uh, is taken over. Well, Dangerfield's closed, and now yeah. it's Rodney. Rodney's now, place, yeah. you know, I think the comic strip had Dangerfield's whacked, if you know what I'm yeah. saying. Forget about how you doing. <laughs> like old school mob style. Yeah. <laughs> so they could be the oldest running queens on the planet. Well, uh, COVID didn't hurt. COVID, like, helped... Well, Ron, well, Dangerfields was going, was the Titanic, yeah. like before before COVID. Yeah. I mean, Chario with his three teeth and 96 years old, still waiting tables. Still waiting tables. Still thought it was 1975. The club looked like it was from 1975. You looked at it and it was like something like a, a cross between Goodfellows and the opening scene of The Shining. Yeah, you know? pretty much. Yeah. And with all the dead bodies. With all the dead bodies, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I love Dane. I loved, I yeah. miss Chario. Like he, uh, it had it, an ambiance to it. Yeah, he added, Chario added that air of history and kept it alive yeah. all those yeah. years because no one else did. Tony yeah. just stayed down like the crypt keeper in his right. office. And, uh, you know, Chario would be honest. He'd be like, you want the, uh, what would the, you want the Harvey <laughs> Bristol cream? It's uh, $16. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's a lot of money. Well, what about, can I get a Diet Coke? It's $16. I think that is. Okay, now I'll get the Harvey's Bristol cream. <laughs> Fuck, I don't drink, but I am now. Yeah. My money's yeah. worth, bitch. 
But Chai, I remember at one point at the at Dangerfields, uh, the comics got really abusive to the bar. You know, they used to let us help ourselves the soda to not yeah. bother the yeah. bartender. Yeah. And then at one point they roped it off and no comics were allowed back there. And Chario goes, get away. Only Christy could go behind there. Nobody else. Because he let me go. Yeah. Because we're respectful. Yeah, yeah we're very respectful. I'm like, and I just used to have, you know, I didn't drink. I just had yeah. this. I just drink ginger ale. I had nope. diet and club. Yeah. Yeah. That was our thing. I, love I miss that place. But so, um, but you, Miss Thing, yeah. have a long history with this place. Yeah, this was my home. I remember, uh, this was my home club and Lucian Hold was my husband. And uh, I'm still, you know, technically I haven't remarried. So I'm still the widow. Still the widow. Work it, girl. I'm working it, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just look at this club and just so many memories come flooding, I mean, come flooding back here. And I remember I wanted to work here so badly and I waited a year before I auditioned and I was in the office with Lucian for about an hour and Michelle Ballin was with me. And uh, she was, I was in there for so long. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he passed, He didn't pass me. He's like, you know, I need you. You did a lot of characters, which is fine. But uh, I need you to do some, you know, other things like talk to the crowd. And I was like, well, I'm an actress. I, you know, I do different characters because, well, yes, but this is comedy. And I said, I'm going to have you come back in two weeks. We'll see how you fare. And this was, you know, he goes, and I, you know, you're like Susie Essman, who I have, no offense. And, uh, you know, you're working class, which is, I guess, good. I think it's the guy made it. No, I just said, I do marry him. And then I married him, of course. Yeah. Because that kicked off my parent issues big time. And then Michelle, when I came out an hour later, Michelle's like, I thought you were blowing him back there. I didn't know what you were going to do to get past that club. Did, and I said, no, I didn't. But so, I, and then I, I said, I did. Time. Yeah, then I did. Then, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and then we started, and then we started, you know, dating and we, you know, made up and broke. It was like Eliza Doolittle and Professor Higgins, you know, together, you know, and he was very, one of the, like, I'll never forget, like after he passed away, you know, I, it was, he like believed in me and I didn't believe in myself. And then as he got sicker, he became, I began to protect him. Right. But it was the, the, the roles reversed, act reversed yeah. but mm -hmm. I couldn't, I really couldn't handle him dying. You know what I mean? I really kind of came unglued after he died, but the roles became worse. Yeah. And, uh. I'll never forget going to see um, six million, six million dollar, ba six million dollar baby, six million. Oh, million dollar baby. Million, sorry, million dollar. Well, inflation. Baby. So, <laughs> <laughs> million dollar baby, right? And I'll never forget. I was always run, moving around the stage, and you know, I wanted to do TV, and t Lucia would always be, "You need to work in a box. You need to work in a square. I'm going to put some some square right around you, and you just don't go out of that box. It's just too much, too big." not for TV, it's fine for the club, but not for TV, you'll never get cast in anything, you'll always be, well, this is how I am, this is how I'm, well, then you'll never be on TV. I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll work in the box, I'll figure out how to work in the box. <laughs> and then when I saw Clint Eastwood, you know, with the Million Dollar Baby, and he put the little square to have her yeah, the teacher, yeah. I was just like sobbing, you know, because well, just kicked up, uh. And uh, it just made me a, you know, he certainly, and he, I'll never forget when I was, uh, he said, listen, I, 
I want you to do crowd work. I, I want you to talk to the audience. I, 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 I don't know what to say. You know, where'd you get that tie? Where are you from? Well, what do I say? Well, you know, well, you got to figure the jokes out. You know, just, you got to start from somewhere. But I said, but you're not going to laugh. And he said, I'm giving you permission to bomb. And it was like that. I just huge. That, listen, to comics out there, if you're listening or people that want it, that is the key in stand-up to being a good comedian is give yourself permission to bomb. And no one does. Nope. Everyone's like, do your A material. We got to get bodies in the seats. Do your A material. I'm, well, I've got a little choker. A material. You want to work here. So nope. they don't do that anymore. No. Or how many uh, TikTok followers have you got? Like, uh, comedy's just changing. Yeah. Now, how long have you been doing stand-up? March 30th will be 32 years. Okay. Martin, yeah, the, from the day I started, from open mics, from, and I was a secretary. I was a word processor secretary. <laughs> and I remember when I got my first development deal, I brought it into the office. I'm like, yeah, CBS is interested in me. Is this? And they were like, well, let's look at the contract. You know, it was just, it was a real big deal. But I always wanted to get my, my secretaries. You know, I always wanted to make them laugh because I came from, you know, working class roots yeah. and artistic roots, and um, and those were the people. Those were like my people that they they worked hard. They to me were the salt of the earth. They were New York, they were or Philadelphia, or Chicago. But those were the people that I wanted after a rough day at the office to just be able to laugh. So I, I would make fun of bosses. I would make fun of you know the office supply people. I'd make fun of the FedEx people. And, you know. But that's so relatable because everybody has a job. Everyone has a job. Everybody does. I don't care who you are. You have a job. And I wasn't like a talking head. I was more like theatrical. And uh, mm -hmm. and the, I remember the first time I always wanted to be a talking head. I was always studying comedy and comedians. And I remember I had such an awful day at the office. I was talked down to by uh, Mr. Plotkin. I remember I was working in, at uh, Wall Street. Mr. Plotkin. Mr. Plotkin. And I remember my first day at the office, it's temping. He goes, this means hold my calls. This means take a message. Ew. And then he stares at me. And I'm like, what a pretentious son of a bitch. And he said, did you hear that? And I'm trying. This is my first day on the temp job. And I'm like, yes, this means hold your calls. And this means take a message. And he's like, yeah. And I rem and there was a million things I had to do, and the phone would ring, and he'd go like that, and I'd be trying to take the message or this or whole, you know. And I was busy and was this baseball? Like, <laughs> this, yeah. Was he a third base coach? Yeah. <laughs> and I came in, and after being so kind of talked down to, I was doing open mic at you know um, and out you know um, right. near comedy club, mm -hmm. and we're getting our money. It's like like it's like a crack deal. We're giving them like five six bucks to get a drink and sit there. And there's 36 comedians all waiting to go on, all looking at their notebook. And I was just incensed. And instead of like doing set up punch, set up punch, I just was like, I, yeah, I worked for this guy. And he was like, this means all my calls. This means take a message. I'm trying to get the calls and take the message and get them sandwiches and fax this and Xerox this and then get get back and then get them, get them lunch and set up the meetings. And I just said to him, I said, you know, Mr. Placken, this means I won't be coming in tomorrow. Just walked out. I just left everything type you know computer on and walked out and everybody looked up and it was eruption it was eruption and I realized and it was the comedians you know and I realized it's emotion behind 
It's the rawness of what we talk about that resonates with people because when you're when you peel those layers on stage mm-hmm. and you just let it out, it just, it's like, it's this vulnerability that everyone can relate to. Right. And we connect because we're all vulnerable. Right. We're all sad pieces of shit. And you we, know, can't we, all- say, we can't just leave our job and go, you know, we can't just leave our job and go, this means I won't be coming in tomorrow. No. But this is, I could do this on stage. Yeah, but this is that inside voice. We are everybody's inside voice. Right with frustration like you know when I go on stage I rant I roast I talk shit about certain subjects or myself and I'm getting older or whatever whatever it is and I'm ranting but it's coming from this raw emotional state and to the point where people are like doubling over crying because they're connect like laughing crying right because they're connecting with it and it's not so much the same identical mirrored experience right it's the emotional journey through that experience that they can resonate with and Mm -hmm. that's the key so when you did that you're like what was that that was cool because you connected and we all know you can make a bunch of idiot comics that are staring at their notebooks die laughing yeah yeah and that's and they were like my best they were my best little critical audience so every time i my my challenge was get five or six comics to look up from their notebook just do what you got to do to get them to look up from their notebook Mm -hmm. you know and women were always like would play it safe and i just would watch a lot of women comedians and male comedians and study george carlin like like i was you know taking a a test an essay on them Mm -hmm. and just go for the jugular Mm -hmm. go for the jugular and a lot of times women they play it safe it's like no fall on your ass I mean I remember one time I had I was doing a set and I had like a temporary tooth and I'm doing my set and my tooth comes flying out falling out and this black woman was like lord have mercy child's done lost her tooth (laughs) and I'm like yeah I just I just lost my tooth and I'm like, well, I just as well, shit. I said I just as well go into the homeless bin. I was like, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, it. And they were like, it was like, I didn't. You just don't hold anything back. And yeah. they, it's like with Lucy, she always made. I always was inspired by her. Joy's made a fool of herself, but you always loved her because she made a hundred percent commitment. She wasn't even that funny. She wasn't considered funny. She's not a comedian. Yeah. She was just her being in the moment she could yes. walk into a room and you, it's already hilarious right just her entering a room right. and there's certain comedians that i've seen over the years that have that right and there's some that really got to work to get right. that connection right and when your tooth fell out it's no, when flying out. yeah when <laughs> flying out. you know it attacked people in the audience yes. <laughs> there was a lawsuit luckily it was the end of the stage i was able to pick it up like this is really expensive but it's like you know, that's the rawness and that honesty that resonates with people because it doesn't matter what your experience is. It's the it's the honesty that people connect with. That's why I tell people. And the, bla- and the woman was honest right back. So it's like, I wasn't alone. Like, comedy is, it's like you're in union. Yeah. You're in union with the audience when you're that connected. Because she was right with me when yeah. she said, Lord have mercy, child, I lost a tooth. I mean, they were like, they were in the moment with you because you took them there. Yeah. You were able to go on that stage and just be who you were, and they were with you. And then when shit went crazy, they were there with you and they were there to pick you up because you already connected with them. I'm trying to remember, I fell off a stage once Uh in Long Island. Oh, God. 
sober. Oh yeah, I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I'm a straight edge. That right. you know, the the iron is my addiction. Like right. I have to lift weights, and it, and it just feels good. I feel better. I feel empowered. I can take on the world when I can lift heavy. Right. So I'm on set, and I used to wear like girl clothes on stage and heels, like dress nice, because I was working with Mooney all those years. Mm-hmm. And then I realized after a while, it's kind of taken away from things I'm saying. Because some people can't, because we're female comics, we're viewed differently anyway. Yeah. And when it comes to stand up or being a woman, and if you if you're somewhat attractive and not a fat piece of shit, then you know <laughs> it's honest. I'm being honest. I know. And I... they they judge you harsher if you're put together and look nice versus when you're just sloppy. So what I found is that people would close off, especially women, and that yeah. really bothered me. And so, and then I, as I, you know, you know, I also was a, at the time I had a day job as a personal trainer. So I wouldn't get done training clients till nine or 10 o'clock at night. So Al Martin and then would usually give me the late spots, you know, I'd close or I'd do late, you know, the late shows or I'd close the late shows just so I'd have time to get home and eat something and then go to the club. And I was like, you know, you're my closer anyway, just, you know, after, and then Caroline's was so late, mm-hmm. you know, cause we were Paul Mooney. It was a late show. Right. And, um, so I sometimes I would I'd have to leave the gym and go straight to the club because I'd have a spot. So I'd have my gym bag. Sometimes I'd have chalk on me, and it just kind of became part of my persona because I do lift and I do talk about it. So I'm like, you know what? I don't have to get dressed up. I mean, I still I still beat the face, bitch. Okay, yeah. I beat the face like Tina, honey. I, I continue to beat this face, hunty. But you know, I still clean. But I, I, I wear my workout clothes and my Chuck Taylors because. You've seen me. I fly all over the stage. I fall on the stage. I crawl around. I dive on a mic stand. You know, I'm doing stuff. I don't want to fuck up my... And if you're in heel, so... It cut to back that I was doing a, a gig with uh, Christopher Davis and uh, George Gallo and those guys in Long Island. And they had the stage. And I was walking and I turned. My heel clipped the side of the stage. I went flying. And it was the funniest thing on the fuck... I, I think I almost tinkled myself. And everybody's screaming and laughing. First I went, and I'm dying in hysterics because I went flying off the stage. So, like, like, nope, not wearing heels anymore. Fuck that. Yeah. Because I'm not to be trusted. Because <laughs> I'm like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. And I walk in a room, it's like, oh, yeah, and the walls fall down and everything. So, you know, it's, yeah, I understand your toothish. That was my share. Well, I started, I started, I started wearing like an army jacket. But I wanted to look feminine, so I wore an army jacket or a short tuxedo jacket, and then I had like combat boots, fishnets, and then a short skirt. So I wanted to look like kind of punky and English. Yeah. And then I noticed, and then I just started to wear jackets, and I would always tell when I would teach comedy, I would always tell women, wear jackets. It just denotes, it kind of commands respect when you're nervous. So you just get looked at differently. And then as I got more comfortable being a comedian, I started to dress more and more feminine. And then I had so much fun dressing very ladylike and nothing very ladylike coming out of my mouth. No. You know, but I just thought of Joan Rivers and Joan Rivers would be like, I always, uh, I wear a dress cause I never know who I'm gonna, you know, I never know who's gonna be in the audience. And then I think of another comedian that I said, you always dress really sexy. Don't you get nervous that women look at you and think well who's that and she's like you know what i don't care because if no one laughs at my jokes they got something nice to look at <laughs> and i'll never forget what she said that. 
<laughs> so yesterday I looked like well, I did two I did two shows yesterday. I did no three shows. And Friday I looked like I was rushing to get to the train. I looked like I came from Williamsburg, Brooklyn, you know, with the corduroys and yeah. the funky polyester shirt and the funky thing. And then the next day I wore a, a you know, a Diane von Furstenberg wrap dress. I'm like, screw it, you know? Yeah. And had a good time. It's the level of, I think as women get more and more confident, they can unfold into whatever makes them the most comfortable. Well, and that goes with your... And that's your style, yeah. that's your look. And it just goes with, you know, years of experience in comedy. You know, like, you know, you're 32 years in, I'm 28. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have over 30,000 hours of experience. You know, 10,000 to be an expert. Right. Coming up right. on 30,000. So, right. it's like... Those, those, I always tell people, like, when I've taught or helped people with their comedy, I go, look at your comedy career as a person, as a mm -hmm. child, like you gave birth to. Because you did, and you kind of gave birth to this persona. Mm -hmm. So if you're, like, two or three years in, it's a two- or three-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. What are they going to talk about? They, mm -hmm. they know a few words. Right. They're barely standing up, and they're right. getting their bearings about themselves, and they'll, or they'll grab a toy and walk over and show you. Mm -hmm. And that's their thing, you know? Yeah. And then you get to be five, six, seven. You're like, I don't want to play baby toys anymore. That's baby stuff. I'm a big girl now. And then, you know, right. so then that's the growing pains, you know, the five, six, seven year mark. And then you hit 10, 11, 12, you become like that prepubescent teenager who's starting to rebel, kind of knows what direction she is. She's kind of like starting to figure out who she's starting to be or who she, what direction she wants to go. Like you really get into music or television or whatever your thing is, you really develop. So you kind of rebel a little bit and then you start, that's basically your voice taking effect after those 10 years, you know, you develop your voice and then you start writing for that voice from 10 to 20 and the first 10 years, usually you scrap or you'll rewrite and create it in your new voice or your older, more mature voice. And then when you hit 20 years old, you know, you're kind of freestyling, but then when you hit 25 and 30, everything you say is that voice. You don't even have to think about it anymore. So it's the same thing with the way you dress because it's all that growing. Kids, we don't wear Diane von Furstenberg wrap dresses at two years old. No. Unless you're Kim Kardashian's kid. No, but, <laughs> but, I, but you know. I, would look, I would look like I came from the office at times, but I just, I, I remember having a bad set and wearing brown, and I never wore brown again. That was it. That's, you know. That was the end of that. Yeah. No more brown. And I've never worn brown again on stage. I was just very superstitious, but I did know the more, and whatever my, like if I was crazy and talking about my hippie parents, I'd have the wild hair and I'd have like the tie-dyed thing, but I was always experimenting with fashion, always yeah. trying different things, always, um, you know, always just playing around because I always liked the tomboy, like just casual, but I always liked, if I was going to be casual, always to look feminine because I always thought, I just want to represent, I thought, I'm representing women. I'm not only representing myself as a comedian, I'm also representing a woman's point of view. And I didn't want to just be a slob. You know, I really, I, I sometimes get angry when women come up and they got a belly shirt on and their belly's hanging out and... I'm like, uh, really? Like, wrong definition for belly shirt, honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're like, you know, this is not really good. I am body positive. Well, I'm positive your body is not positive in that outfit, honey. Right. You know, girl, dress for the body you have, not the body you wish you had. Right. And it's like, and then you just draw attention. There's not going to be one guy or girl thinking, she could have, you know, a couple pounds wouldn't kill her. But, you know, I mean, you don't say it, but you think, like, what are you doing? Where Shouldn't you wear Spanx? Shouldn't you have a girdle on? Shouldn't you could still have, wear a funky, sexy looking outfit that you have to have your stomach hanging right out? For the body. And then I feel like a mom. Yeah. Then I feel like I'm turning into a mom. 
you know? Yeah, well, you kind of are because we've been through it. Yeah, it just, we ain't experienced all that back and like I used to dress not making her comedy better no I remember what George Carlin said if I really wanted their attention and I was working on new material I'd always wear black because George was like if you wear black they just focus on the words and I was like yeah that yeah yeah that works it's true because it it, it it narrows down the color scheme to your face right and so you're focusing on their expressions your right. eyes your li you know your right. mouth what how you're right. talking as right. opposed to looking at what's going on on all day right and if you're too flowery or flowy or lacy it's distracting it's so distracting and you can um still be attractive looking and just have the focus on you know, on you know, just wear a nice black, uh, you know, look sleek and cat-like, you know? But I also, I also tell people, too, like, what do you feel, the, not comfortable, what do you feel the most confident yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. Inside, not confident you looked hot and sexy, but what makes you feel confident and powerful? Right. What makes, what do you put on that makes you go on stage and go, I can do anything? Right. And for me, it's black. Because I, it, I like it. I like it again because you know it distracts from my yeah. figure. Yeah. But it also helps people listen to the words. Right. And right. like Carlin, I, ne yeah. I never heard Carlin say that, but it makes perfect it sense because I always thought, you know what? Just dress in black. They can focus on what's happening. Look at some of his fashion. Yeah. See how many times you. He, he always wears black. Always. Because that's what he just he. But right? black also looks professional. It does. And it's like, that's why a lot of stores, like, 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 I'll use this as an example, Sephora. Yeah. I'm a fucking, I put the whore in Sephora. <laughs> and uh, they all wear black because it looks clean, it's professional, and it doesn't matter what the fabric is. It always and looks it like it's part of the uniform. Poor, you yep. could look, Everybody looks great in black. Yeah. Slims you down. Yeah. And if you are slim, you look even slimmer. And if but you're it's big, clean. it's a clean, clean. late. Yeah. And you, and the face, the focus is the face. Mm-hmm. And that's what they that's what they sell, thing. Right, right. So we'll be right back. <laughs> but it's so true though. It's um but yeah, I you you do a lot of cruise ships. I you, took a break. I'm taking a break. You're taking a break? And that is brutal because I there I am a northern comedian working for basically southern audiences. Yeah. So and then you're a woman. So I have to be you've got you know, for women, I don't care you've gotta work twice as hard and be twice as funny to, to get, get half us. the laughs that guys get but when you get it they give it up for you i i can't i don't i don't want to hear it's gotten better it's gotten more equal no it really hasn't no the 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 critiques and everything's gone underground it's been quiet it's been quieted it's like we're always censored what we say we're still thinking it but we're just censored what we say but i go on these ships and it's like if i can you know, and I, I'll, I'll just say, I know you think, who is this uppity northern bitch think she gonna say? We don't know already. And if I do that, they start laughing. I'm like, they're laughing because I know that's what they're thinking. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, don't worry, when you're in New York, we think, you fuck your sister, you fuck. I mean, we think, you know, we're arrogant too. We think you're stupid. We think you're stupid. We think you didn't get over the Civil War. That's so always get my little dig in. Yeah. After I. I say, I know what you think about me, but don't worry. We think the same thing about you, you know? Remember Brett Butler? Yeah. Well, yeah. She had one of my favorite lines, and she said, like, because she knows she's from the South. So yeah. she moves to New York, and she goes, "You." and then the people always talked to her like she was retarded. Like, yeah. you from where? <laughs> I wouldn't want to come from there because people sound so stupid when they talk. Right. And it would just kill. She yeah. wouldn't even have to set it up. Yeah. And it's just such a great, because 
that shit works because it connect but that's how you you connect to them that you hear them you see them and you're like you're one of them like i know what you're thinking yeah yeah oh i'll be with a hiring wearing all black and think she's all that (laughs) you from new york city you got all the fashions and stuff fuck you but i've got jokes on body positivity i've got jokes on how i said and, and then I'll just say, you know, in the South, you you give a woman a compliment. You find a woman pretty, what do you say? You look very nice, ma'am. I'm like, New York, my friend was like, you look good. You look like a dancer if she was out of shape. Like, and that's a compliment. I'm like, really? I yeah. apologize. Oh, yeah, you look, what do you mean out of shape? Well, come on, you don't got a six pack. I mean, you look, I said you look like a dick. What, now I got to explain myself? You look good. And it just goes on. But that's it. You laugh because yeah, it's New York. It's so true. Yeah, but it, so you, you look, man, you, you look cuter than a spotted puppy under circus tent, you know? And uh, they have the best metaphors for compliments. They do. But they do give you a compliment. They're yeah. Like, yes, my, well, don't you, don't you clean up now? Yeah. You don't hear that in New York. You look like shiny as a cup of dew on a daisy leaf. <laughs> <laughs> daisy. Yeah. yeah, I declare. Um, but New Yorkers not so. But you know, um, if you, but you know, New Yorkers will just give, give you a look if you look. They'll, they'll, you just they just say everything with their face, like. <laughs> and you just know you look good. Yep. And then if other women look at you, you definitely look good. Yeah. When women check you out, and when women give me this look, I know I look good. And if I get this look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she wasn't brave enough to be that. That's why. Because it, it te- women women hate women more than men hate women because men have penises and women have vaginas. And as long as that man has a penis and that woman has a vagina, he still thinks he has a shot at fucking it. Yeah. So men will be a little nicer to women than women will. Women are much more... Crit- it's like they did a study, and they did a study, um, and they found that when a woman has to go for an interview and it's interviewing with a male boss, she'll uh, undo the... Yep. She'll undo and just... You know, be a little bit more flirtatious. Should be like that, yeah, little hair toss, little beliefs to you know yeah. secure a future with this company. I just see yeah. myself growing with the firm as part of the team. Yeah. And if it's a if if it's a woman, it's a woman interview. Oh, honey, I'm in a fucking hazmat suit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'd like to secure a future with this company. I think I could help uh, build things up, and I just think there's a great room for growth mm-hmm. and i like that it, was, it, it, it empowers strong women it empowers strong women yeah. which i'm all for 90 yeah. percent uh, are lesbians great great i'm yeah i was thinking of going more, over yeah, you know. more dick for me <laughs> more dick for me yeah. Yeah. okay i'll suck all the cocks so you won't have to right. is that all right all right am i hired and then they're like well we don't want to <laughs> like well fine with me well good send it my way bitch <laughs> Oh my God! So, are there? I always I, I I love talking shop because I love comedy more than anything now than I did when I started, which is crazy. But like I always like that you know, we always have those gigs where it's just like mind blowing, where you just kill, and it's like like oh my God, I am the greatest of all time. And then there's those hell gigs. What is one of the worst experiences besides your tooth flying out? Uh, have you had? Because that's actually funny. That's not like a hell gig, like where it was just like just. Danger fields. Danger fields. 
and that's why it's gone. I had a... <laughs> Vanessa burnt it down. I had... <laughs> I was on stage, and they were... They collectively decided to, one side of the room completely was heckling me. And I mean like a hundred people. hundred. And then the other side was like with me. Right. And Chario, all of them, the wait staff should have said, you know, calm down. Calm down. But they were all watching, like getting some perverse pleasure watching. And I was trying to hold my own and you feel this like flop sweat and flop sweat isn't like regular sweat like it's this cold sweat yep and you're feeling your you know you're trying and you're trying to act supremely confident and it's and you're like you 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 you're coming up with jokes so fast that you can you know just trying to quiet them down and Artie Fraquois was running late so I was kept up on that stage for he still 40. is by the way yes. <laughs> I was up on that stage for 40 Five minutes. Oh, I, 45 minutes. Yeah. And I had, and I'll never forget, I got off stage and I was like, Chario, why didn't you like say something to them? He goes, well, you seem to do, you handled yourself just fine. And I'm like, and I, I remember thinking oh, that wait staff should have just, they should have looked out for me. Yeah. But they didn't, they thought, it, and I knew that they were, because they were all in the corner, like just watching, just watching. And right afterwards, I was all messed up so I wasn't drinking, so of course, food. So I order like two hamburgers. One, I just eat one after the the next. Just two hamburgers. And I thought, what a, God, how did I survive that? But you know what though? I'm glad they didn't intervene because it made a part of, like that's like a battle scar. Yes. You know what I mean? That's that's a stripe on your fucking jacket. Yeah. You know, that's like, if you don't, ex like like these comics- I don't know who could do, like- Nobody, you, no, no. Uh, you, you could, if, but if, it's- If you're under- 45 minutes, yeah. I, I was, if when you, he showed up, I was like, thank you very much, you guys have been awesome, thank you. You, not so much, you, thank you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, on a different, yeah, but the thing is, it's like, I don't know any, I mean, I'm sure there are, but I think, I feel bad. It's not that I don't know any, I, I think I more feel empathy for these comics that are under 15 years in the game because they've kind of grown up with social media and, and easy stuff and, and trigger words and you can't, and save spaces. So they've never had a chance like Gen X and enough. Like we've, we've been beaten down. Like we, you know, we fall down, skin our knee. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. So if I think if any of them tried to go through that, they would fold instantly because it's, it's, they don't know how to handle strife and you and I and our generation of comedy and up, we've, we've been through the hell gigs, you know, and I always tell people like comics like us that aren't a household name, but still do it for a living. We're the essential workers of comedy, right? You know, we keep these comedy arteries open in this in this country with these shitty comedy clubs. Right. I was in Har just outside of Harrisburg last night in Grantville, Pennsylvania. It was a comedy club that's in a hotel, and they're renovating the hotel. And they're actually going to probably build the an actual comedy club in the hotel now because it's doing so well. Mm. And last night was their biggest ticket sales yet. And I was like, I'm glad I was a part of that. And they were a phenomenal audience, but this is bumfuck nowhere. Right. Do you think that Cat Williams or Dave Chappelle 
or Amy uh, Schumer or any of them bitches would go to a Holiday Inn in Grantsville, Pennsylvania that seats 200, 300 people as a, you know, in the middle of fucking nowhere in a banquet hall. No, they don't. They don't do these small rooms on these off-beaten paths. They play the big cities, the theaters, the stadiums, the big comedy clubs, because they don't have to play those because they know with their name, those people will drive an hour or two hours to go see them. Mm-hmm. So these little clubs in bumfuck nowhere, we keep them open. Right. And it's like, you know, all this shit it's a we've been we've had our hell gigs in those places like it's yeah. rough driving there it's you know hotel or whatever all the crap you got to go through dealing with the bookers and the club owners and the fucking your money up and the audience being drunk and there's no security and blah 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 i don't know any one of those new kids that could handle that because they've been spoiled and it's and good for them but you know what? I'm glad that we went through this. Yeah. Because I can handle any fucking room I walk in. You learn, like, that can't be taken. Nothing can be, everything I've learned as a comedian. I mean, what made me go into it is when I got on stage for the first time. And I was an, a- you know, I was an actress. Right. I wanted, I studied Shakespeare. I studied iambic pentameter. I got scholarships at Lee Strasberg and all these really good school, you know, yeah. that that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to play a cop on a series. And <laughs> well, you'd have been great. Yeah, no, I still want to play a cop on a series. We should do our own version. on 33rd Street. I'll check it out. Okay. We should do Lord and Order Child. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that. I'm hilarious. Is anybody listening? No. Okay, great. <laughs> But, but I was on stage and I thought, if you, all you gotta do is write and you don't have to rely on anybody. And if you can just write, you can maybe make a living doing this and not depend on anybody except your writing and your wit. You'd literally, you gotta live by your wits, you gotta work really hard, but you can do that. And it was just like, it was this freedom yeah. I felt and I was like, Big time freedom. Yeah. But it's a lot of work that goes into being a comedian. It's like we get paid to travel. You know, there's an expression, get paid to travel. Yeah, I get paid to travel and talk shit to people. Right. You know, and do you have a problem with any of the places you play that they try to censor you or tell you things you can't talk about because, you know, they have sensitivities or they don't want to offend people? Do you ever get those? A lot. I've had to change a lot of my jokes and it's gotten me very upset and uh, you know, I remember doing a show and I said, you know what, I'm offended by people that are easily offended. Because what you're telling me is I can't have, what you're doing is you're cherry picking what you're gonna get offended at and you're not listening to the context and what I'm saying, which means that you're highly kind of, I guess, uneducated and you don't understand nuance and cynicism and wry and humor. And if you're so offended, how is my joke going to impact and ruin your life yeah just explain that to me I, I need to know explain why you get offended yeah and why is it your offenses overtake everybody else right what what makes you special that i'm triggered i don't like that then get the fuck that don't but listen usually to be people would they'd be like you know what she's not my cup of tea let's let's go do yeah. something else they wouldn't tweet about you call the booker Call the club, say I want her out. Now they, now they or want your TikTok blood. video of ranting. Now they, it's like they want your blood, and it's like all. And I feel like saying, I, I think I said what I once was on stage, and I said, "What is my crime here? To just make a bunch of you laugh? 
That's all I'm trying to do. Why didn't make you laugh? Yeah, I told people, well, you have a sense of humor, no. and half of them don't have a sense no, of humor. Because they- and I sometimes think people, quite honestly, are jealous of the comedians that are very, very witty and try and shut them down because it makes them feel powerful. I don't know this cancel culture. I feel like it's all media controlled. No one even understands it. But it's like college students have to censor themselves. We College students used to be self-centered. Now they're self-censored. You know, and that's college was made to debate, to, to talk about different religions, talk about weight, talk about men and women, talk about politics. And but it was now, all about coexisting, co-exist- what those differences. We, now we can't right. coexist no. because if you're different, right. it's like we've gone so fucking backwards. Right. And colleges right. now have safe spaces. Right, I so know. So if someone feels triggered, there's a room that they could go and right. lock them in the room and don't let them out because they obviously can't handle earth. The safe space should be when you get, when you realize that you owe $100,000 for your education. You need a safe space from those banks coming yeah, after you. That's called prison. But <laughs> you should feel fearless. In your 20s, fearless. But also, too, it's like this whole, like, censoring shit. victim thing. Yeah, it's, it's all narcissism because yeah. social media has created our narcissism to be out of control, whether you're the narcissistic victim, everything always bad happens to me, or you're the narcissistic bully yeah. and you stomp everybody. Right. For me, when people tell me, Christy, you've got to tone it down, which I've been told by venues, hey, last night someone got offended. I said, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. This is my show. Yeah. And if you don't ha- ha- can handle it, then you should not come outside. No one is forcing yeah. you to come to a comedy show. And my thing, I don't care what you think. I mean, you shouldn't care what I think. It's funny. Right. Life is hard. It's hard enough as it is to right. exist in this world. Right. Why are you making it harder? And talking about and making fun of shit and processing it while you're laughing makes stress and angst and tragedy and trauma a lot easier to deal with. People get offended by the truth. I was talking to a college student. She said... They banned George Orwell's 1984. And I'm like, why? Like, why are you banning, like, futuristic, dystopian, horrible things? To, to We're not being spared. It's like, do you think that if you, if you don't share the knowledge of the future and what can happen, that you're going to prevent people from suffering? Or even, children from suffering? Bless you. Even artistic expression. Yeah. But, uh, See, I'm allergic to Sagan's uh, culture. Right. <laughs> but, uh, like, even, even to write a book like 1984, I read that in high school. And I was like, oh, my I God. I read it's like, in 1984, and yeah. that's when I started to get afraid. Yeah. I've been afraid since 1984. Yeah. Well, of, and now it's like 1984 now. Yeah. Well, that's it was too far ahead of its time. And the thing is, like, you know, it's 40 years ahead of its time. I look at War of the Worlds back yeah. in the day when radio, people listened to radio. And it was just a made-up show. And people thought it was a real newscast because right. that's how well it was written. So my thing is, is that you want to ban shit or change things to, because it's just to make themselves feel better about themselves. It really is. It's a soapbox and they're trying to stuff the receipts underneath it so you can't see them. Like these motherfuckers with um, these triggering words and banning books and shit. It's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Like, it makes me so angry. so hard for people to have First Amendment rights. Yeah. That now you could be a... You could be a narcissist, a racist, an anti-Semite. You could have a voice. But then you could be progressive and pro this and pro that and have a voice. But you would get heard. Yeah. You know, and all of that is ended. And if you have one opinion that maybe you agree with something that a conservative or Republican said, 
then you become like a fascist. And if you agree with something that a liberal said, no, I, yeah, I think there should be free school lunches for all the kids. Yeah, you just, you, uh, you know, you, you liberal, you know. Yeah. And also, too, it's like, um, you know, I, I just lost the thought of the, the, the cancel, the words. I just had something. Else. Oh, this whole, you know, changing shit like that and banning things. It's it's really about themselves. It's part of that narcissism. Like yeah. like this whole thing about homeless. You can't call them homeless. Yeah. You have to call them unhoused. But and I no go, one's getting them home. Yeah, I go, so do you sleep better at night? Because you changed the word. Do you feel better about right. yourself? You fucking and stomp food it. insecure. Yeah. It sounds like an issue. It sounds like, you know, I get too close to the carrots and I get unsure of myself. It's, no, hungry. They're starving, hungry people. Because people don't want to handle reality. There's right. no non-confrontational. Reality is still going on. Yeah. It's like there's still poor people, starving people, homeless people. They don't go away because you're like, we know, I don't want to talk I, I about I call them at house now, so I'm better than you. Okay. Yeah, with people without houses. I can't. And that's your lifestyle choice. No, they might. It's like when it's like, would you hire somebody that hasn't taken a shower in three weeks and smells like shit and it's talking to himself? And he might have started off OK, like he got thrown a maybe he drank too much. Maybe the wife kicked him out. Maybe he was an intelligent guy. Maybe he had like mental issues. He might have started out all right if you gave him some opportunity. Well, then that's our health care system, right. which goes to a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but he didn't choose to be no. like that. And, but I, I just hate the fact that com that all comedians are now vilified for all their bullshit and bull and crap and their. Uh, I yeah. can't like, go go after the real sources. Leave right. us alone. Yeah, go. It's like. I say, so, okay, you're finding me offensive. Meanwhile, you're tweeting about me on your iPhone that's made by somebody that gets mistreated in in Chenzhou in the factory. Yep. That and at and at 24 they can't even use their fingers because they have to put the same thing. How come you don't find that offensive? How because come it's that, not convenient? Yeah. How come that's not offensive to you? And on that note, I always like to wrap up the show. See, it goes quick, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I always wrap up the show with two funny questions. And I, I don't know if you read it in the email or not, but it's okay. But I'll, it'll be funny. I forgot. That's okay. Wait, it'll one... be funnier off the okay. cuff. Right. Um, the first question is, is there a bit a comic has done that made you go, God damn it, that's brilliant. I wish I had written that first. Yeah. I have a ton of them, so. Yeah, I've got, well, one I never forgot, I heard. Okay. I was, uh, there was this... There was this uh, guy comedian, and he was like, you know, my wife and I are getting ready to um, to have a baby, and she was saying to me, she's like, what do you, what do you want to name the child? And he goes, I don't know. I was thinking of Dream Crusher. That's <laughs> always <laughs> they laugh. That's cute. Do you remember who it was? No. Uh, that figures. <laughs> no, but we don't. The Montreal Comedy Fest. So I'm yeah. thinking. Oh, that's hilarious. Dream Crusher. <laughs> I just thought that was very. And uh, the next one is, you know, I used to open for Paul Mooney for many years, and he would always wrap up his set with street jokes, but he would Mooneyize them and just murder the place. Like it was like the best closer on the planet. Um, do you, you remember a Mooneyizer joke bit? Oh, I know million. I know hours of Paul Mooney material. Oh. Yeah, I could. I used to go up at the comedy store late night, like after the after the show was over. They'd be like, Christy, go up and do Mooney. So I'd go up and yeah. get my little champagne bottle with a straw, and I would sit there, and I would do a half hour of Mooney. 
for the guys, for the comics and the staff. Like we just talk shit when Mooney be and he's like, and he goes, "Homie, I heard you were doing me at the comedy store last night and killing it." Yeah, <laughs> and I'm okay. like, "Hey, I did." I go, "How'd you find out so bad?" Oh, I have jungle ears. I hear everything, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, do you have a go-to street joke that you that always makes you laugh, or you use when people ask you for stupid jokes? Try to think a uh, go-to street joke. I'm trying to think of something like. I know I have them. Uh, I mean, I got a. I have a joke that I can't do anymore because people get offended. Do that one then. Uh, I remember the Hollings like, had joke. Yeah, uh, I said my mom. You know, my mom really, my mom really liked black guys. And uh, in the seventies, we moved to Bed Stuy, Brooklyn. It was a real bad neighborhood, you know. And uh, but she loved the black guys. So every time I came home from school, I never knew if the apartment was being robbed or my mom had a new boyfriend. Good night. That's our show. <laughs> it's really funny. I like it. Wanda Sykes is like, you got to do that joke. I'm like, yeah. you could do that joke. I can't do that joke anymore. And if I probably did an all-black room, they'd probably be, I don't know. destroy. No, you would destroy. Trust they me, don't. I do black rooms a lot still. And I'm insane. Yeah. So, but you, you're, trust me, you, you can, because you're an amazing talent. So, is there, um, I want you to tell everybody uh, at, uh, old school new school comedy land where they can find you on the socials and if you have anything coming up you want to plug i've got something uh oh god it's in my uh it's in my phone is it well is it on your website or your it's social? gonna be on my website i'm on facebook i'm on instagram definitely facebook and then uh tiktok i gotta get a little bit better at my tiktok videos instagram um and twitter and i will be posting in a couple weeks i'll be in new jersey and I'll be doing a, a two nights there, and we'll be putting up little flyers. It's called uh, Married, Single, and a Baby, and it's the three of us from three different points of view of being married, being single, and having kids late in life. Uh, and it's uh, uh, Joe Bubblewitz, myself, and uh, Chris Monty, who is hysterical. Yeah, so I'm really funny. Show. And that's it. And I'm basically. So, what are your what's your Instagram handle? It's Vanessa. Hollingshead. <laughs> it's like just look at Vanessa Hollingshead. It's like Vanessa. I think it's Vanessa. This is how much I, I'm bad. Uh, I had I had a social media person. Uh, Facebook Vanessa Hollingshead. Instagram I think it's Vanessa. Six Vanessa Hollingshead sixteen sixty or Vanessa Comic Vanessa Comic sixteen sixty. Just you're gonna see my face. You'll find me, and then TikTok and then X, and I'm on all this, the sites. Fantastic. And I'm nowhere near like Christy where she, she set this whole thing up and taught herself how to do the I taught myself how not to cry during COVID. <laughs> not to have a nervous breakdown during COVID. Oh, no. I, I, was, I didn't have yeah. time for that bullshit. And, yeah. uh, well, that's been, an, you can, uh, it's been another edition of Old School New School Comedy Podcast. You can follow us also on Instagram at Old School New School Comedy, spelled with a K. And you can follow me as well at Christy Miller Comedy. If you love our show, please like, subscribe, and share our show. And if you hated me, I've been Kathy Griffin. Good night. Yeah, it's that time, it's that time.